0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able sermon series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen.
1: Good morning. I'm glad that you're here. I want to take a little bit of a survey just to kind of know where we're at and how folks are feeling today. If the first way in your home that you listened to portable music was on a big black round disc called an LP, would you, if you can, stand? LP. Love it. Thank you guys for doing that. Okay, I love it. All right, have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Yes, originally released in 1948. Now, now the idea of a record had been going on since the early 1900s, and they were made out of something called shellac, um, and they broke really easily. Um, in 1948, they came out with something called the LP, and then eventually the EP. The LPs were 12 inches. You can now buy them at McKay's. And the EPs were 7 inches. I think they sell those, too. And they were made out of vinyl, which was longer lasting. And that was, that's why we called them vinyls. It was a better thing. Um, and, and people used those for a long time. If the first way in your home that you listened to portable music was on a cassette tape, would you please stand? You know you, how you would rewind it? You would put a pencil inside and you would kind of spin it around real quick. And that's, yes, there you go. Okay, you guys can have a seat. No idea, but the cassette tape actually came out in 1963. And this is something else I didn't know because my grandmother at the time still had an 8-track player. Did you know that the cassette tape actually predates the 8-track? 8-track came out a year later and tried to upset it, and basically the two dueled it out for about mm, 10, 15 years until the cassette tape eventually won. And that's how I grew up listening to music. There were people that predicted the downfall of all music during that season because you could make your own at home. Do you remember the idea of a mixtape? You could record music without buying it. None of you did that. It's illegal. And give it to your friends and or girls that you liked as a way to get them to be interested in yeah that happened that was a real thing all right so how many of you the first way that you listened to music was on something called a compact disc it was just a tiny little plastic yes thank you for your honesty i love it compact disc came out Looked like a tiny little record. They were really, really shiny. Eventually, people figured out how to burn those and make your own music on them, too. It was supposed to revolutionize the industry and make it impossible for people to pirate music, but they figured it out and did. How many of you, the first way that you listened to music was over hundreds and hundreds of downloads on something called an MP3 player? It looked like an iPhone before there was an iPhone. Anybody out there? mp3 players you can stand. i love it thank you some of the people in the room my teenagers and younger don't know any of the things that we're talking about they would not pass this quiz if they went over to ml rose on a tuesday night for trivia night they would not know any of these answers because in 2002 something called streaming came out and you no longer needed any of these things in order to be able to listen to music There's a lot of differences between the generations. And so many times, people wanna throw shade on one or the other, and that just means, for those of you who are used to listening to LPs, it means not feel really nicely about them. Okay, so that's what we're talking about, the idea of the generations. And so a lot of times, the older generations, we get this, are looking down on the younger generations. And a lot of times, the younger generations are rolling their eyes At the older generations and we get this we know that this happened and younger generations I'm right there with you because 60 years ago every home ever built had hardwood floors in it and they covered it up with shag carpet so they didn't always make the right decisions the older generations did not always do everything perfectly and now we are buying houses and going and pulling up the corner just to see why in the world did they cover all this up but they did and so not every generation makes the right choices. We're in Ephesians chapter 3 for the entire series that we've been in on this idea of God is able. And we've zeroed in on a couple of verses that have chronicled the entire life of Rolling Hills Community Church. If you are brand new to Rolling Hills this season, the past couple of weeks have helped us zero in on verses that we have thought of as primary importance since the inception of our church. And if you're just joining us Today, for the first time ever, after six weeks, we've been in Ephesians chapter 3, looking at verse 20 and 21, zeroing in on why these verses matter so much, and it says this, Now to Him who is able. We're talking about the great God of this universe. Regardless of how many times we've messed up, regardless of how many failures we can chronicle in our lives, and they are many, we serve a God who is able. Who's able to what? To do immeasurably more. That's above and beyond anything that we might ask Or imagine, and I've said over and over and over this series that I've got a wild imagination, and God is beyond even that, that he's able to do immeasurably more. Like, we can't quantify it. We can't put a a label on it. We can't say everything that he's absolutely capable of because he's God, and we don't even have the vocabulary for it. He's able to do immeasurably more than anything that you and I would ask or imagine. What is it according to? His power. It's His power that's at work in us, and sometimes we want to put the blame on us, saying like, well, the reason we're not experiencing God's power is because we we don't have to have it in us. Like, it's, it's His power that's at work, and so we say, to Him be glory in the church. We talked about that last week, this idea, the past couple of weeks actually, the idea of like how God's glory is made available and alive in the life of a church, flawed churches, failing churches, problematic churches, and that's actually every kind of church fully human beings we make mistakes and we're messed up and if you do find the perfect church please send me an email because i will resign from this one and go there they don't exist and i love the idea of people in the world and we all do it and we all did it maybe you did it and you landed on this one awesome maybe you're just here bypassing your way to the next one that's great but we all do that idea of like church shopping where we try on things i do that at target you go in the little room you try it on you see if it fits if it doesn't you get a bigger size Y'all give me a minute. And that's it. Like you go and you try them on like we do shoes to see if it works for us. And sometimes we like it and sometimes we don't. There's never going to be a perfect one. That doesn't matter because we're not giving glory to the church. We're not giving glory to a person. We're not giving glory to a song or a style or a genre or an LP or a CD versus anything in between. We're giving glory to Almighty God for his work in the church. And I love that Paul includes this last phrase that we're going to this week. Because the verse literally could have stopped there. Like it could have stopped last week where we just said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything that we would ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And we could have put a period there, but Paul didn't. He continued in his writing to say, Throughout all generations, forever and ever, that's infinity, amen. And so the essence of what we've said for years, this transition into the family ministry model that we've done in the life of Rolling Hills, has always been about the idea that this faith that we have in Jesus today has to be passed on to the next generation. That's not new to Rolling Hills. That's not new to modern churches. That's not new to people who are like, oh, we're going to call something the family ministry. It's literally in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles with you today and it's your analog one and you're going to flip back and forth, some of you have a digital Bible and you're going to find it on your phones, see the difference in generation? Again, that's okay. Go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can also put a pen in 2 Timothy chapter 1, because we're going to toggle back and forth between the Old and New Testaments this morning. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read some really incredible words, and we're not even going to zero in on the passage part. That's my favorite. We're going to go a little broader and start at verse 1. Moses is giving the law to God's people, The, the wandering Israelites through a wilderness who are waiting for God to provide the promise of land and and home, and an ability to live, and to be a nation. He gives them these words. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws that your Lord, your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children, so that you, your children, and their children after them, it's your kids and your grandkids, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. And then he says the word, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you so that you may increase greatly in the land that's flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Several years ago in 2019 before COVID, I was privileged to be able to go to the Holy Land and spend three and a half weeks wandering around in Israel. And I do remember my dear friend at the time on the trip, her name's James Jamesetta, and as we were walking around, she goes, where's the milk and honey at? Because we up in the desert and I'm not seeing it. And she was right. Like, where's it at? Like, where's this promise fulfilled? And that had to be what the people of God were saying. They marched out of Egypt from one desert, but was surrounded by the Nile River, which was fruitful and multiplied and abundant. And then they land in a desert that has absolutely nothing. And they have to rely on the promises of God to give them food every morning and water from things like rocks. And they're wandering around complaining because, let's not throw shade on the Israelites, you would complain too. Don't lie. I know I would. And God gives them a law. He gives them words. He gives them an access point to understand who He is. And He says, Hear, Israel, and be careful so that it may go well with you when you enter into that land. The word here is the word Shema. And when we get to verse four, we know that it's the central affirmation of all of Judaism. It's a prayer that they pray twice a day Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It expresses faith in a single God, as opposed to every other nation on the planet at this time which was worshiping a myriad of all kinds of false gods. Idolatry was everywhere. They came from a place of idolatry. They were walking into a place of idolatry, and God wanted to make sure that before they got there, they understood one clear and present truth that there was one great God of this universe. and The way that they were supposed to respond to him, verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. One time this lawyer comes up to Jesus and is like, hey, can you sum up the Old Testament for me and tell me what the most important command is? And Jesus looks at him. He says, oh, yeah, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bonus, I'll give you what the second one is. It's love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Old Testament passages that matter to people. He's saying love God with everything that you have. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Like, as soon as we're told to hero Israel that God is one, our response is to love him with everything that we have, and the very next line is, oh yeah, make sure that you impress this on your kids. Make sure you don't leave them out. Make sure that they understand the truths that I'm giving you today. Make sure that they understand the commands. Make sure that they know the stories. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And I imagine the people in the back raising their hand and Moses being like, Okay, save your questions till the end. And somebody just going like this, like, Can I have your attention, please? And being like, Moses, Moses. We don't have doors. Oh, but you're about to get a door. You're about to have houses that you didn't build. You're about to be in cities that you didn't start. You're about to live in land that you didn't buy. Like, I'm giving you all of these incredible blessings. And when you get there, you're to write these words on the doorframe. The last time they had doors, the dad and the family had to take a bunch of hyssop, which is a plant, and dip it in the blood of an animal and paint it on the doorframe of their house To spare the life of their son. And now Moses is giving them a command. When you get doors again, it's not going to be blood. It's going to be words. Those are the thing that's going to govern the lives of your kids. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to give your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, I don't have kids, I don't know if I want kids, don't fade away. And if you're sitting here today thinking, well, I do have kids, but I've already raised my kids and they're gone, like, don't fade away because the next generation belongs to every single one of us. Moses didn't say, hear, O Israel. Lord, Shema means to listen, but it also means to obey. Listen to this. Obey this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with everything that you have. Everybody else put a pin in it. Moms and dads, listen up. No. He didn't take a pause and say, parents, procreators, people in the room who have the 2.5s, listen to me. No, it was to the entire nation of Israel. So the people in the room who have no kids, the people in the room who don't want any kids, the people in the room who've already raised their kids, you are still on the hook for the next generation to know and follow Jesus Christ, the generations have always been, from the beginning, a very clear priority. Always. So that you and your children, Deuteronomy verse 2, your children and your children after them, so that they may fear the Lord your God. It's always been a priority psalm 78 verse 4 says this we're not going to hide them from their descendants we're going to tell the next generation of the promises the praiseworthy deeds of the lord his power and the wonders that he has done the greatest blessing to any mom or dad in this room any grandparent in this room is the children that god has provided somebody's like amen the greatest problem for anybody in the room for any mom or dad that's here, any grandparent that's listening, is the children that God has provided. Somebody wants to say amen to that too, but your children are sitting near you, and you don't want to hurt their feelings. Generation Z includes anybody that's born between 1997 and 2012. That's all of my three children. Defining generations helps researchers know how information is translated, but it also helps them know how different groups of people at different ages and stages of life respond to different things in the world, like the invention of the iPhone or 9-11. We're coming up on an anniversary of something that happened when I was a newlywed. Imagine being somebody who was a first grader when that happened. Imagine the way that you would approach that if you were 55 when that happened. Some of you know, like, how do you approach the things that happen in the world depending on the age and the stage that you are in life? There are currently 68 million Generation Zs living in the United States. By 2026, the majority of them will not be white. Here you go. 64% 64% of Gen Z's use Instagram at least once a day. We're actually having a tutorial. Anybody in the back that's not on Instagram, if you want to be, I can help you later. I even know how to make a story. <laughs> their number one fear, with 44% of them claiming this as their number one concern, is climate change. A close second is racism in our country. A close third. Very close third is gun violence, police brutality, and then eventually, pollution. With almost half of the next newest generation being concerned about, you wanna know them, you wanna reach them, you wanna understand them, you wanna mentor them and shepherd them into knowing Jesus, know the things that they care about. 61% of them report feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge in just the past two weeks. 42% of them report feeling down, depressed, or hopeless over the same period of time. And that sounds like a terrible thing, but it's not. I'll put a different spin on it for you. While only 26% of Gen X, 22% of baby boomers, and 15% of the silent generation, are y'all listening? I don't know you're silent. While only 26% of Gen Xers, 22% of baby boomers, and 15% of the silent generation who have felt the same way, have sought therapy and help, more than half of those who feel that way in Gen Z are raising their hands and saying, I need help and and, and engaging in therapy and, and trying to find resources. They're more diverse, they're more educated, and while mental health and job dissatisfaction are struggles for people of all ages, they're more likely to take action. They're willing to express their ideas And over the next several decades, we're gonna witness the impact that they're gonna have on the whole world. Researchers and developers, you know what they're calling this generation? The more generation. And it's not just more excess and more access, it's more ideas. And it's more positive steps towards resources. I think that there are probably people in the world that think that everything is just going to, oh man, But I think there's hope. If we do the thing that God has always designed that we do, we pass faith into their hands. Imagine what this group might do when they know and follow Jesus. The generations have always been a priority, but the generations have also always presented a major problem. At the end of what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. When you go into cities, when you go into homes, you didn't build this, you didn't make this, you didn't do this. But when God provides the incredible blessings that he alone will provide, be careful that you don't forget. And that word forget in Hebrew language is shaka, and it literally means to ignore, to wither, to cease, to And I think sometimes we're so concerned that we might forget the Lord like we forget where we put our keys. That we might forget the Lord like you may forget somebody's birthday or forget somebody's anniversary. You don't forget the things that God did, but you do fail to put them in a place of priority in your life. You just cease to care about how important they are when you prioritize other things over and above them. I don't think the people of Israel walking out onto dry ground while the Red Sea was parted in front of them ever forgot that moment or ever forgot to tell that story, but they did fail to prioritize the rescue that God gave them over and over and over again. So much so that we continue to read these really fearful verses throughout scripture. In Psalm 78, back there in verse 40, it says, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. They barely made it out of Egypt, and there they are rebelling against him in the wilderness. They grieved him in the wasteland. Again, God put them to the test. He vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. They forgot it. The day he redeemed them from their impressor, the signs that he displayed in Egypt, the wonders, that he, the region of Zone, And then you get past Moses. You get past Joshua. And you go into the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. It's the scariest verse in all of Scripture. It says, after that whole generation... The ones who are listening to the LPs and the EPs and the ones who bought a car that had an 8-track player inside. After that whole generation died and were gathered up to their ancestors, a whole new generation. The one who didn't even know about CDs or MP3 players because they were just streaming all the music. Like a whole new generation. Like just a few generations later, we're all alive and in the exact same room. The grandparents died. And the grandkids grew up. And they did not know the Lord. The Lord. And they didn't know what he had done for Israel. The greatest fear that any of us should have is not what the enemy is doing in the world. Although we're kind of taught to fear that. Like I was raised no, no, the devil, he just does, and he is. I'm not going to diminish the power of an enemy. I'm not going to diminish the power of an evil one. I'm not going to diminish that there are dark forces at work in the world. I'm not going to blame it on the Republicans. I'm not going to blame it on the Democrats. I'm not going to blame it on Russia. I'm not going to look for all of the great evils in the world and post about them on my Facebook page as if everything is just falling apart. Because the greatest thing to fear in the world is not what somebody else is doing. The greatest thing to fear in the world is what we are not doing, which is to ensure that the faith that we have and the stories that we know are passed on to the next generation. God's command way back then, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's not an accident that when Jesus was asked, hey, tell us what the most important command is. That expert in Jewish law knew the second he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, knew immediately, oh, he's quoting the Shema. He knew the words that came before that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he knew the words that came after that. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. The greatest thing that you and I have to fear is not what somebody else is doing in the world, but what we may not be doing for the next generation. God's command remains our calling. And so we go to 2 Timothy And this time it's not Moses writing, it's Paul writing. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. We just read in Ephesians chapter 3 that everything that's happened that deserves glory is the power of Almighty God working in us. It says, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. Huh. still talking about the generations with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember. Huh, we just said don't forget. Now we're talking about remembering again. You in my prayers, recalling your talents, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Huh, here we are talking about the generations again. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. And then Paul gets to the meat. For this reason, I remind you, hey, don't forget fan into flame the gift of God which is through you through the laying on of my hands for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power love and self-discipline so do not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God he has saved us and called us to live a holy life not because of anything that we've done but because of his own purpose and grace the grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but now it's been revealed through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality and light through the gospel if anybody's sitting here today and you don't know what any of that is or if some sort of part of your past or some kind of trauma that you've endured has muddied up what it might be let me just say this the gospel is that you are a sinner and that's not me throwing shade because i am too deserving of death and eternal separation from almighty god and creator but in love he destined that his son would die in our place so that we might live and it's through faith there's nothing that we do to earn it nothing that we do to achieve it nothing that we do to secure it god gave a gift and all we do is believe And of this gospel, Paul says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep underline that word, if you like to underline words in analog Bibles, if you have a um, digital Bible, I don't know how you do that. Keep as the pattern of sound, teaching with faith and with love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I just want to say really clearly that as people who know what cassette tapes are and used to listen to CDs and maybe even had LPs, those of us who are on the older end of things today, our goal is not that gen z and alpha and everything that comes after them our goal is not the success of the next generation but sustained faith in the next generation like the things that we celebrate a's and b's the things that we hope for good jobs 401ks medical insurance Awards, achievements, like who wouldn't be thrilled if they found out that their daughter became a doctor or something really awesome? That's great. But our goal should not be the earthly success of the next generation, but instead sustained faith in the next generation. So Paul called it out, verse five. He's like, You have sincere faith. You believe in Jesus. Starting with your grandmother, your mother, and now it's been passed on to you. You believe. We ought to celebrate that. A- and then continue to endorse and secure and fan into flame that. And this is the reason why. This is reminders that every single one of us need because it can happen in our life and it can certainly happen in the lives of the next generation. Faith can fizzle 100% like it can fizzle and fade over time It is a gift to be nurtured. That's why Paul writes, fan it into flame. Continue to grow in passion. Okay, so my kids, two of them, they're older. They go to high school. They are staring at college. In fact, we're starting to make decisions and do visits and talk about SAT scores and all these things and whole scholarships. This is how you can pray for us. Like we're talking about all of the things. And here's what they already know about their dad. That as long as it doesn't have, like a long time people are like, oh yeah, as long as you're under my roof, please do not give your children that clause. Like they don't get the under my roof clause. Like, no. Like, as long as you're under my care, as long as you're on my insurance, as long as I'm funneling any portion of your life, you're going to go to whatever college the Lord sends you to, wherever you're dispatched in the world, and I'm going to be less concerned about your math grades and your psychology grades and your— I'm going to be far more concerned about what church you picked and what campus ministry that you're a part of. In fact, they know before they go away that they're going to sign on the dotted line a little contract arrangement agreement between me and their mom that says— hey, when I'm there, I'm going to pick a church. When I'm there, I'm going to pick a campus ministry. When I'm there, I'm going to be in a small group. And someday, later on in life, I may sit in a seat of the people that listen to LPs and may regret that decision. But I would rather regret the decision to ensure that faith than to stand back and not do anything to achieve it. I'd rather look back in 30 years and be like, that was probably a little too harsh. That might have been a little overbearing than to look back in 30 years and say, I wish I talked to him about it more. We'll see. Time will tell. Faith, the reason I will do that is because I know it can fizzle. I know it can fade. I know that as the pressures of the world mount, it can take a backseat, and then it can't even be in the car altogether. I know that when I started youth ministry 23 years ago that somebody told me a stat that's been burned in my retinas ever since I read it, that 70% of the homegrown kids, this is the year 2000, that we grew up in the life of the church, that we raised up in small groups, that went to VBS, that got dunked into some water, that went on a mission, like 70% of them went away to college and never darkened the door of a church again. Now, thankfully, that stat has continued to go down, but guess what? So has church attendance. 70% of the ones that we're raising and sending out never darken the door of a church again? That That ought to alarm us. And the reason being is because faith can fizzle. And our greatest concern should not be their worldly achievement, their worldly success, but the idea that faith continues in their life. It takes fortitude. I think that this is part of the reason that it's happening faith takes fortitude. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering. We need to prep our kids to suffer a little bit. We like to protect them from all the problems in the world. We don't want them to experience disappointment. We don't want them to get cut from the team. We don't want them to get a bad grade, and we're willing to fight to make sure that everything always goes really well for them. Maybe that's why they can't sustain faith in a world that's full of problems, because we haven't built them up with any kind of fortitude that says, it's okay to be disappointed it's okay to suffer my mercy it's okay to be the told the word no sometimes I say no to my kids just because I haven't said no in a while no other reason than that like really literally no reason to say no except for "Mm, I don't think they've heard no in a while I think they probably need it no (laughs) it's good for us faith if you're going to sustain it it takes fortitude through problems We dishonor God when we don't know how to suffer for his sake. Faith freshens our memory. If you go back to Deuteronomy 6 and you skip down into verse 20, it says this whole passage about like, hey, in the future, like like in a long way off when you're already living in the land and your son says, hey, what are the meanings of, uh, of these stipulations? Like what are the meanings of the decrees and the laws and everything that God has commanded? And you're supposed to tell them, we used to be slaves We used to be slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord, immeasurably more, he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and on Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised our ancestors. The Lord gave us the antidote to idolatry it's memory. If we would just remember what God did and prioritize it in our lives, God doesn't need to be remembered. That idea of God needing to be remembered and needing to be honored implies that he's weak and that we can give him something that he does not have without us. God literally knows how good he is and doesn't need us to tell him. But guess who needs to say it? Me and you. Because I need the reminder. My kids need the reminder. My friends in the community around us, we need the reminder. 2 Timothy nine says he saved us and he caused us to live a holy life. Not because of the things that we've done, but because of his grace and, and his purpose. When are we inspired to show the most love and to live the most holy? When we remember that Jesus saved us. When we remember that we were doomed, when we think about what it was like to be slaves. Faith, it, it, it refreshes our memory and allows us to recall the goodness of God. It, it, it also fashions our future. Paul says, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, here I am, I'm I'm appointed. As a herald and an apostle and a teacher, that word appointed means to be established and to be ordained. It means to be, to set apart, and that's the truth for all of us. We were established, we were ordained, we were set apart to be His special possession in this world in order to what? To bring praise, to proclaim the excellencies of our Creator and our Savior, and to ensure that this great singular God in the world, that we love Him, that we obey Him, and that we pass faith in Him on to the next Generation, the bottom line that we have to remember is that what's worth passing, like if faith in Jesus is worth anything at all, the salvation of the next generation is what's at stake, then it's worth protecting. Paul says, Whatever you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. The word keep in Greek is the word echo. And we know what an echo is it's just to continue saying the same thing repeating the same thing it also means to have and to hold we say those words in a wedding ceremony it's to cling together so so we're praying that the next generation would have faith would hold on to faith would be glued to their faith and continue to pass and repeat that same faith so that they'll know and never forget who god is why he sent his son and what it means to know and follow him. We have an incredible responsibility. You already heard from Kim Widener this morning. She's our preschool and children's ministry director. and Serving in preschool hallways and elementary school hallways. It's, it's our responsibility to ensure that everybody that's in one of those hallways gets to know what it means to have faith. We have student ministry for middle school and high school kids, and, and their lives are hanging in the balance. They meet during our ten thirty hour, and a, again on Wednesday nights, we have a student ministry director, Tristan here who is pouring himself and the lives of his volunteers into weekly Bible study and fellowship and mission so that these kids can know how important it is to possess faith. Don't be somebody who sits on the sidelines of that. Many of you are praying for the next generation because you wish they were sitting right next to you right here i want to pray alongside you that they'll come back and that it'll be powerful but i also want to issue a call to you to be one of the people that's investing in the ones who are right here everybody has something to pass when they have jesus would you pray with me father thank you for this day Thank you for the chance to be in this place. Thank you for the incredible word that you gave us, that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so this morning, God, we ask, we name out loud the people that we do wish would come back. The faith that we wish would be restored. The lives that we wish would be returned. The faith that would be ensured to the next generation. We pray for our babies down the hall and for our elementary school kids upstairs. and My mercy for our teenagers downstairs and the stuff that they walk through. We ask God that in your power and your mercy that faith wouldn't stop with this generation but it would be ensured to the next. And that you would make us passionate forbearers of what it means to know and follow Jesus and just how good he is so that they can see it trust it, and never want to depart from it. We love you, Jesus. And it's your fame that we want to proclaim throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.